I thank God for all who have led us in worship today. I want to read a scripture, Psalm 148, the whole psalm, verses 1 through 14. I'll read from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of my Christmas Day sermon is Thousands and Ten Thousands. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Here we are, the few, the proud, the Christmas Day churchgoers. <laughs> Many are not able to attend church today due to family schedules, holiday travels, children's needs, Christmas fatigue, and rampant sickness which is totally understandable, especially since so many attended Christmas Eve services yesterday. In my 16-year pastoral career, this is the third time Christmas has fallen on a Sunday, and every time the crowd in worship has been relatively small. Glancing about the sanctuary on Christmas Day might feel like a letdown, after the crowded services of Advent and Christmas Eve. But there's also something very special about gathering for worship with fewer people than normal. Maybe it's the chance to greet someone you don't normally run into when all the other worshipers are around. 
Maybe it's a sense of peace that fills us when the sanctuary is calmer than usual. Maybe it's the reminder that where two or three are gathered in Christ's name, not two or three hundred, not two or three thousand, but where two or three are gathered in Christ's name, he is present in the middle of us. Maybe also it's the opportunity to recognize afresh that whenever we gather for worship, our congregation composes only a tiny sliver of the cosmic worshiping community. Back in 2006, at a rural church in Tennessee, I preached to a congregation of six. The organist might have made seven. In 2012, at a storefront church in western North Carolina, I preached to a dozen people. There have been many times when I've worshipped with small congregations and in those moments I've gotten the feeling that we're only a miniature slice of something much bigger that's going on. I suppose my own sense is that congregations of hundreds that fill out their sanctuaries can look complete, whereas smaller congregations that do not fill out their sanctuaries show forth the reality that every church at worship is just one minuscule dimension of a much larger drama that's taking place. Psalm 148 awakens us to this larger drama of worship. Praise him all his angels, says verse 2. Praise him all his hosts. The first summons to praise in this psalm is directed to creatures in the heavenly realm. The reason is that angels are part of the worshiping community. According to the book of Revelation, angels are always busy praising God. When we gather to worship on earth, therefore... We are joining in with the unceasing worship of spiritual beings. The book of Revelation also features images of the saints who have gone before us, worshiping God in glory. When we gather to worship on earth, therefore, we are also joining with the saints in heaven in glorifying God. Every worship service, no matter what the visible attendance might be, participates in a much grander cosmic service of worship that's unfolding in the invisible heavenly realm. The psalm descends from the heavenly realm to outer space in verse 3. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Not only angels, but also sun, moon, and stars are exhorted to praise God so that the solar system declares God's majesty. It's similar to Psalm 19.1. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Have you ever considered how the sun, moon, and stars bring God praise? They point to their glorious maker as they shine with the glory God has given them. 
back in the 13th century. The language about sun and moon inspired St. Francis of Assisi in his famous Canticle of the Sun to refer to brother sun and sister moon. On the basis of Psalm 148, St. Francis adopted the mindset that all creation is involved in worshiping God. Even inanimate solar objects are viewed as our siblings in praise. The psalm next transitions from outer space to earth. Verses 7 through 8 say, Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind, fulfilling his command. Now, I don't always view wind and precipitation as participating in the worship of God, but one Sunday back in 2005, I attended worship at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and during the service, a fierce storm rolled in. I was well aware of this because Emmanuel Baptist Church has gigantic panes of transparent glass running the full length of their sanctuary. So if you're worshiping there and the weather outside is sunny, you will see the sunshine. On the other hand, if the weather outside is stormy, you will see the rainfall. I remember watching the dark clouds surround the sanctuary rather uh, ominously as I sat worshiping on my pew. I remember trees swaying in the wind and hard rainfall causing the leaves to flutter as I worshiped inside. Our sanctuary provides a glimpse of the outdoors, but most sanctuaries I know do not provide such a full range of visibility to the outside world. That morning, however, I felt I was part of the larger creation during Sunday worship. If I had thought about Psalm 148, I might have viewed the winds blowing and the rains falling as creation engaging in praising God. Perhaps the storm was roaring praise outside as we were singing hymns inside. Whether we worship in sanctuaries small or large, transparent or opaque, we are joining with the elements of the natural world in bringing God glory. The psalm expands this vision of creation at worship. In verse 10, which addresses wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds. Now here we see that wild beasts and domesticated livestock, furry friends and flying birds can all participate in praising God. The psalm suggests that animals from giraffes to guinea pigs, from leopards to sloths, from meerkats to crocodiles, from hogs to hippos, can all engage in bringing God praise. My theology professor at Wake Forest University, Frank Tupper, used to say, humans alone are praying animals. While that may be true, all animals can participate in giving God praise. Ten years ago, I traveled to Haiti on a church mission trip. We were staying in the coastal town of 
Grand Guave, where various animals roamed freely in the streets. The missionary we were working with took us to a Sunday morning worship service at a local church that met in an open-air sanctuary that looked a lot like a picnic shelter. There was a flat shelter overhead about six and a half feet off the ground with wooden benches and tables beneath it where worshipers sat. There were no walls to the church, so I saw the neighbor working in her yard during Sunday school. When the worship service began, I noticed an animal, I believe it was a goat, standing under the shelter with us near the back of the worship space. During one of the first couple of songs, a dog walked over and curled up at my feet. I felt its fur brush up against my leg as the worship service continued. Several birds flew under the shelter or alighted on trees nearby. Their chirping added to the sounds of the service as scriptures were read and prayers were said. Chickens were walking around too, weaving between our legs. At one point, I noticed a huge lizard crawling along a stone wall that separated the church's property from the neighbor's property, and the lizard stopped on top of that stone wall and opened its mouth and let out a loud screech. I watched its neck bulging as it continued screeching for a couple of minutes. There I was at a Sunday service with a dog at my feet, a goat by the next pew, chickens walking around, birds flying above, and a lizard screaming praise. I felt like we humans were just Along for the ride, joining in with creation's ongoing worship service. Although Psalm 148 emphasizes the non-human worship offered by angels and stars, storms and trees, cattle and wild animals, it finally urges human beings to praise God. We are last in the order here. Or perhaps I should say climactic. The language of the psalm evokes the creation stories of the book of Genesis, which portray humans as the crowning moment of God's creation. The only creatures made in the image and likeness of God. Perhaps then the instructions to humanity form the culmination of Psalm 148. The scope of the psalm, which begins with a cosmic vision, gradually zooms in with an anthropocentric focus. Verses 11 through 12 call all human beings, the rulers and the common folk, the men and the women, the young and the old, to praise God. One reason is that God's glory is above earth and heaven, transcendent in majesty. God is the most high being, worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. Another reason, says verse 14, is that God has raised up a horn for his people. Since the horn of a bull is its greatest strength in battle, the horn is an image of strength. As Christians, we believe God has raised up Jesus Christ as our horn of salvation, our great strength to win the victory in our battle against adversaries such as sin, death, and evil. 
In fact, when the priest Zechariah prophesied about Christ in Luke 1.69, he said, God has raised up a horn of salvation for his people. Perhaps it was this very psalm, Psalm 148, that Zechariah echoed as he predicted Christ's birth. In any case, it's certainly fitting that the revised common lectionary a schedule of scripture readings used by many, many churches assigns this psalm to be read during Christmastide. God has raised up a horn for us in the form of a baby in a manger. God has raised up strength for us in a little child. His unrivaled spiritual power looks a lot like weakness as he coos gently upon his mother's shoulder. But he comes to bring us the great spiritual victory. Since Luke reports that he was laid in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, it's often inferred that Jesus was born in a stable. And it's perfectly reasonable to imagine animals surrounding Jesus in the hours following his birth. Luke further reports that angels appeared and sang glory to God on the night Jesus was born. Matthew adds that a bright star signaled the birth of Jesus, bringing the solar system in on the action. It's almost as if the whole cast of Psalm 148 shows up in Bethlehem. We got the angels, the stars, the animals, and human beings too, because a group of shepherds gathered near to see this great thing that had happened. Something bigger was going on that night than would have appeared. The tiny congregation of humans attending the worship service at the manger represented only a fraction of the cosmic liturgical event that was taking place. Likewise, the crowd at church on Christmas Day may look meager, but surprise... We represent only a tiny portion of a much grander drama of doxology unfolding all around us. According to Psalm 148, we are to praise God as if worship is a much bigger event than immediate visibility would indicate. We are to praise God with the mindset that we have many partners in praise, visible and invisible, human and non-human, spiritual and material, solar and animal, speaking and non-speaking. We are to praise God as if we're part of a much grander ongoing worship service that spans the heights of heaven, the stretches of outer space, and every distant corner of earth. We are to praise God as if heaven and nature sing along with us. We're to praise God as if every time two or three are gathered in Christ's name, they're actually more than two or three hundred, more than two or three thousand participating in worship. The entirety of the worshiping congregation may not be apparent at first glance when only a few people are gathered, but the broader array of cosmic and creaturely participants can be discerned through the eyes of faith. The 20th century Baptist preaching professor James Cox told an illuminating story from the era of World War I. 
he reported that an English colonel was staying in a French village. And this English colonel loved to badger the village priest whenever he attended Mass. As he departed worship, the colonel would always find something ornery or something belittling or something critical to say to the priest, you know, on his way out the door. One day there was a small crowd in worship, a very low number in attendance. So as the colonel was leaving church with only a handful of other worshipers, he said to the priest at the door, Good morning, Father. Not very many at Mass today, Father. Not very many. <laughs> the priest replied, No, my son. You're wrong. Thousands and thousands and ten thousands. Amen.